Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. I'm Brennan Nath, HW Plus Managing Editor here at Housing Wire, once again with the latest installment of the Housing Wire Daily Podcast, where our editors and reporters discuss the most compelling stories and sources that they're covering. I'm still stepping in for our Editor-in-Chief Sarah Wheeler, but don't worry, she'll be back later this week. Today, my guest is Housing Wire real estate reporter, Brooklyn Hahn, who also reports for Real Trends to talk about some of the most recent HW Plus and Real Trends stories that she's working on. But before we dive in, here's a quick word from our sponsor. Now more than ever, it's important you partner with a subservicer who is compliant. At TMS, they operate under a culture of compliance, one that follows all investor and regulatory guidelines 24-7-365. They not only put the customer first, they do what is right. It's a way of doing business that has earned special praise from Fannie Mae, Jenny Mae, and many state regulators. Partner with a subservicer who makes compliance a priority. Go to subservicing.themoneysource.com. Brooklyn, I'm excited to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Now, I know you've been covering a lot in the newsroom, and a theme that we've had here on the podcast recently over the last week is that we are in the middle of earning season, which I know is something you've been closely following. You covered First American, you covered Stewart's earnings, but let's start here. The first question I wanted to ask you was unpacking First American's earnings. So they reported a record year. Can you dive into some of the highlights that you saw in their earnings report? Sure. Yeah. I mean, so many of the title companies this year that are public have reported record years or at least record quarters during 2021. You know, for First American, um, the company's total revenue for 2021 was up 30% year over year to a record of $9.2 billion, um, with $2.4 billion earned during the fourth quarter alone. Um and, you know, also during the fourth quarter, uh, First American generated a total of $2.3 billion in revenue just from its title insurance and services segment alone, which was a 13% year over year increase. And also interestingly, which was kind of a theme across um, several of the earnings calls I've covered so far, is that commercial title revenue was up quite a bit as well. It was up 66% year over year. Um, during that fourth quarter. Uh, First American also highlighted um, its investment income, which was $49 million um, during the fourth quarter. During the third quarter, there were a lot of headlines. I did a Q&A um, with a First American executive about uh, its investments in prop tech companies. And as we kind of transition from a refi to a purchase transaction market, First American is really kind of banking on and counting on that investment income to cushion any blows or changes that it might see in its title income if there is a major swing. 
And I know with these earnings reports, often come an investor call and an earning call, which you guys often sit in on and listen. And I was with uh, Matt the other day on the podcast. He said, kind of get the juicy details in those earnings calls. Was there anything else that they touched on or anything that maybe their leadership team said that you'd highlight from the investor call? There wasn't a ton. I mean, earlier in the week, um, First American uh, appointed... Ken DiGiorgio um, to CEO. And so that was kind of some news that they discussed at the beginning of the call. A press release had gone out earlier in the week announcing that. So, um, you know, it was his first earnings call with investors as CEO. So that was something they definitely acknowledged. Now, before I kind of ask my next question, I did want to set the set the scene for those who maybe aren't familiar with the big four. Can you just quickly touch on who the big four companies are and maybe just explain just what that means real fast? Sure. So the big four are the four biggest title insurers in the country. There is Old Republic, First American Financial, uh, Stewart, and Fidelity. And those make up... Um, roughly 80% of the market share in the title space. And there are thousands of title companies and those four control a whole lot of it. And, um, you know, it, it, there's obviously a bunch of other concerns for smaller title companies. Um, but those are the big four and yeah, they control a lot of the market. And in that, those four right now, I know kind of three of them we're kind of discussing on today's episode, that next one being stewards earning. They've also recently reported moving from First American into stewards. What did you see in their quarterly earnings report? So for Stewart, um, during the fourth quarter, uh, they recorded a net income of $85.5 million compared to $59.7 million during the fourth quarter of 2020. Um, and overall in 2021, the company saw a net income of $323.2 million, which um, is over double what they made in the prior year. Uh, in the title sector, uh, pre-tax income increased 25% year over year and total direct title revenue grew 24% um, from 2020 to uh, a total of $423.1 million. The vast majority of that came from domestic non-commercial title. But, um, you know, like First American, Stewart also saw a really strong quarter uh, and year with commercial with uh, $93.1 million coming in from uh, commercial domestic title revenue. And I know the last you know year or even quarter for these earnings didn't come without some challenges. Was there anything that they encountered or anything that listed when it maybe impacted their earnings or things that they had to overcome? So in the fourth quarter of 2021, Stewart uh, went on a bit of an acquisition spree. Um, in November and December, they acquired four different major title companies in key markets across the country. Um, and so this resulted, as one would expect, in their employee costs and personnel costs during the fourth quarter, rising about 20% compared to the year before. Um, you know, obviously, due to 
you know, increased salaries and employee benefits, and also a 22% higher average employee count due to all those acquisitions. So that's nearly a quarter increase in the number of people they employ. Um, So that definitely cut into potentially some of their earnings. But interestingly enough, as a percentage of total operating revenues, um, employee costs decreased from 25.3% in the fourth quarter of 2020 to 23.3% in the fourth quarter of 2021. Wow. You know, that's something I think we're going to touch on M&A activity a little bit more in this podcast, but that kind of makes me want to wonder, like, are there themes looking at, and I know there's a third one in here, um, Fidelity is coming in later, but of the three that you've watched, have there been any key themes in their earnings? Um, So really the key themes that I've seen kind of across the board are acknowledging that with rising interest rates and rising mortgage rates, the market is for them is switching, you know, from a refinance market to a purchase transaction market. Um, and so that's a bit of a shift and a bit of a change. Um, a lot of companies uh, worked to automate the refinance transaction process because there were so many refi transactions going on. Um, so that was uh, something that really was spurred on during the pandemic. And now they're kind of having to pivot and work towards kind of beefing up their purchase market transaction coverage and how they deal with all of that. Of course, um, there are concerns with inventory being so low that, you know, homes aren't getting purchased basically. And so that'll, you know, potentially dry up revenue for these title companies. Um, But so far, you know, they seem really positive. They have had strong purchase transactions. Uh, numbers come through uh, for the start of 2022. So that was one of the big themes. And then also, as I mentioned, you know, really the strength and um, increase in volume of commercial transactions and commercial title. So that's something that they are also kind of banking on to help them navigate this transition from refi to purchase. Those are interesting notes and just the impact of the low inventory. We had Logan Motoshami on the podcast last um, recently, a couple of days ago. And when he was on similarly talking about, hey, wh- where does this end? And really touched on this idea of, hey, with rising rates, that might slow down just a little bit in order to help with all of these different factors that are coming together once. No matter what, as he talks about a lot, demographics are high and demand is high. So that's not going to change. So interesting to see now in this interview with you, Brooklyn, how the title space is also kind of dealing with the impact of everything. Now, you've been closely following the title and the closing space for a while leading up to these reports. What did some of your coverage look like in this space? I know M&A was a big theme there. Was there anything else in their earnings report that after following the space for a while now that you would add or highlight? Yeah. So as you said, there's been a lot of M&A going on. Um, First American recently acquired Motherload Holding Company, um, Old Republic, uh, recently acquired the operating assets of Mountain View Title and Escrow. Um, and as I said, Stewart's been kind of on a buying spree, which has continued so far into 2022. And Stewart really has been the main one engaging in all of this M&A. Um, and 
I think, as, as they stated in the earnings call, and as I had previously believed, um, Stewart is really looking to ramp up its market share. Uh, during the third quarter of 2021, Stewart's market share was 8.2%, and this was down from 9.6% at the end of 2020 and 10.6% at the close of 2019, so pre-pandemic. And this is all according to American Land Title Association. Um, so clearly their market share has been slipping over the past two years or so, Um And, you know, one way to increase market share is to uh, increase the amount of the market you control. So um, that's definitely Stuart's strategy. And, um, you know, we'll see if that paid off during the fourth quarter when Alta comes out with its report um, in a few weeks, probably. And earnings is what we've kind of centered a lot of discussion on for most of this interview. But there is another part of the equation. I think technology is a huge play. I think you've also been watching in the title space. So I wanted to ask, you know, moving away from earnings, what other trends, maybe tech trends, are you seeing? Uh, So title really, you know, has a bit of a bad rap that it's antiquated and, um, not keeping up with the times. And, you know, you talk to a lot of people in title and they'll say, yeah, we do have that reputation. And, you know, to a certain extent, they feel like they, it might be deserving and others, you know, feel like they really are making progress. Um, so there has been a lot of or a large increase in the amount of tech being used and utilized and developed in the title space. Um, title is the one part of the real estate transaction that, you know, regardless of if you're using a VA loan or a conventional 30 year mortgage or doing a cash purchase or buying through a trust title sees the transaction no matter what. And it's kind of that central puzzle piece in all of, you know, the home buying transaction. A lot of people believe that, you know, if you can add more tech into title and streamline the process in title, you will be able to kind of overall help the entire home buying transaction. Um, So, you know, streamlining is kind of a big buzzword and you hear that a lot in title Um, and streamlining the closing process, the idea of making it more like an Amazon checkout uh, experience where, you know, you start your home search online, you find your home, you press a button and voila, you know, your your mortgage has been approved, your title search has been completed, and now you own this home. So if we'll get there, I don't know, but uh, that's kind of the end goal that a lot of people are talking about right now. Yeah, it's fascinating to think about and even talk about. I um, my husband and I bought a home about a year and a half ago in the middle of the pandemic in Colorado is notoriously known for being a state that has been very difficult when it comes to closings and, um, you know, notaries and, uh, online notarization type thing. And so we had the fun experience of a drive through closing during the pandemic was just unique. And to think, when I report on it, or not report on it, but read on it on the daily on on the website to then experience like the very opposite of having to do the drive through closing because of everything that's going on. So it's very exciting and interesting to see all of you know the potential development or what they're working on in the title space is working on in in technology. Yeah, for sure. 
Switching gears a little bit from, you know, innovation, tech, title, and earnings, I did want to talk about some of your recent real estate coverage. You also have some stories and pieces on realtrends.com that I wanted to highlight, um, whether it was single family home purchases by investors to vacation home demand. Can you touch on some of those findings that you've been, you know, reporting on as well? Sure. Um, yeah. So I think last week I covered a report about um, the share of single family home sales or homes purchased by investors. Um, and during the fourth quarter of 2021, the share of single family homes purchased by investors rose 40%. Uh, year over year. And this was uh, in a report by Realty Track. Um, and investor purchases accounted for 16.4% of all home purchases nationwide during that quarter. Um, and all but five states saw increases in the percent of investor purchases of single family homes year over year. Um, another interesting thing to note is that um, investors are still paying less than you know your your average home buyer, and so the median price that investors paid across the country was eighteen point nine percent less than the overall median home sale price. Um, but it you know it should be noted that this average price discount is definitely lower than the discount um, of 29.4% seen in the previous quarter. So they're still paying less, but they're not paying as much less as they were previously. Um, and there's been some interesting reports that I've seen that have come out lately about how you know investor home purchases has really impacted the market. There's some conflicting thoughts about you know is it driving rents up or is it you know providing more rentals so driving rents down. Um, so that's something that I definitely um, you know I'm looking forward to looking into some more. Um, and then you know one of the other things that you mentioned was demand for vacation homes. Um, it's January or it's February now, goodness. And I am in Southern New Hampshire. We have a ton of snow. So I definitely get the desire to have a vacation home in a more desirable, sunnier um, locale. But um, a Redfin report came out and found that uh, home buyer demand for second homes was up 87%. Uh, from pre-pandemic levels in January, uh, which is just shy of the record of 90% uh, increase, which was seen in September of 2020. And this 87% increase was well above the 42% increase in demand for primary residences in January. Um, and kind of with that, prices uh, for homes in seasonal towns uh, rose 20% year over year in January with prices, median sales price of homes in non-seasonal towns rising just 13% year over year. Wow. That report really piqued my interest. I'm based in Colorado, which as many people know, the mountain towns are commonly frequented here. So anywhere from people probably have heard of Winter Park, Breckenridge, Crested Butte, Aspen, 
and have a couple, you know, family friends or people that we know who have homes there and a, a common topic of conversation lately with anyone who we know who happens to property or is looking to buy has really echoed um, like almost like a personal antidote around this report around um, some of them are trying to buy a home and they paused for a second because the price just seemed so high, but then they regret it not too long afterwards because another home is listed and that home's even more expensive. And so this idea of, okay, when, when should they decide to buy because demand doesn't seem to be slowing um, homes are still going just as fast and it's, being seen in multiple mountain towns with people that we kind of talk to. Of course, I have a, a microcosm example here in Colorado, but we're definitely seasonal towns. People are frequenting here more than ever as everyone prepares for uh, the March spring break. And I'm almost on the same page as you, Brooklyn, about thinking like, oh, it's still the beginning of the year, but we're almost to the spring break crowd. So I hope everyone's um, having fun planning their vacations and kind of getting ready for that. But the year does not seem to be slowing down at all. Definitely not. Well, you know, as we kind of wrap this podcast, I always like to ask so our readers know, or our listeners know, what can they stay tuned for from you this week and what coverage can they um, look forward to or even beyond this week? Sure. Um, so I am off the rest of this week, but I do have a story about a lawsuit uh, that Century Lock just filed against Supra's parent company, Carrier Global, for copyright infringement. Um, on a few key features in one of Supra's lockbox systems. Um, and that was really interesting because I got to kind of dive in a little bit into, you know, what makes a lockbox special, um, you know, and how they've really evolved from the old school lockboxes, uh, which, you know, held a key and had a combination lock on them, not dissimilar to... Uh, the combination lock you might have had on your high school locker um, and to, you know, these very high tech uh, lock boxes that they have now that, you know, agents can uh, open with an app on their phone or a remote or a key fob even. So um, that's coming out uh, later this week. Um, so that that's was really interesting. And then, you know, heading into next week, definitely keep an eye out for some more top agent Q and A's on real trends. Um, you know, those have been a lot of fun highlighting different agents across the country um, that really excel at what they do and find out, you know, how they got started, different challenges they've faced, their take on local markets uh, in their area, and um, you know, other issues kind of within the industry. And then, you know, of course, some other interesting features and daily stories. That's great. And hope you do enjoy your time off until then, hopefully somewhere a little bit warmer. Um, if not uh, somewhere, maybe with a little bit less snow, I can relate very much to the snowy part of it. But Brooklyn, it's always a pleasure chatting with you. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on in the space. So thanks for taking the time to talk with us about it. Of course. Thanks for having me. Looking for more insight into what will happen in 2022? Or maybe you need more information on what in the world is happening with the federal regulators. Or you could just be looking for information on how to stay competitive as the industry shifts to a purchase-focused market. Our HW Plus Premium Membership comes with all of this insight and more. 
With your HW Plus membership, you'll get at least five HW Plus articles a week that dive deeper into the daily news to help you confidently make business decisions. To join, go to housingwarrant.com forward slash membership. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.